0: Welcome to another episode of Most Important Podcast with me, Sunil Singhvi. My latest guest is actually the first guest I ever had. So back when I first created the podcast, um, I asked a bunch of wonderful people to be really generous with their time. Um, And today's guest was the first person to say yes. Um, And she gave me her time and it was brilliant and we recorded it and it gave me loads of confidence that we could make this show and we could make it brilliant. Sunil... The problem is that it's taken me so long to get it out into the world that everything in today's guest's life has changed. So we're having to re-record the episode, but I'm happy with that.
1: I'm sorry for being a diva. Uh,
0: Welcome to the show, (laughs) Caroline SM. Hi. But you've also brilliantly proven my theory. So on the show, we ask people for their most important things. But I make the caveat in every episode that we're talking about today. I can't hold you to these things. I can't say that these are the most important things forever. So now, uh, as opposed to asking you what your most important things were in, I think it was May 2019, we're now here in March 2020 and everything's changed. Now, before we get started, um, I wanted to say loads of nice things about you, uh, which is what I do on all the episodes because you're all nice people for being here, but I'm just going to make it really short. I lived in America for a bit. Uh, And my job was to look after music for a a big tech firm. Um, And whilst I worked there, everyone back home kept saying the same name. They kept talking about this person. Uh, uh, Some of the pronunciations of your surname were literally amazing. Uh, It's a little
1: shaky out there. Even (laughs) me. Can't get it right. (laughs) Um,
0: So there was, uh, I I thought you were about four different people. Because people (laughs) just kept saying different people. And was just like, like, wow, was there a generation of people all called Caroline? Uh, But your name came up um, synonymous with a number of hugely important cultural things, New Gen, GRM Daily, a bunch of things that were sort of important at a time and place and are still important, but that had that resonance. So when I came back to London, uh, one of the things on my to-do list was to meet you. And I got to meet you pretty quickly uh, and found out you were brilliant. But uh, Caroline, I'm going to ask a slightly difficult question. Yeah. Who on earth are you? (laughs) Da, da, da. <laughs> and you have to start by pronouncing your name so that I don't get it wrong at any point.
1: you know we're so shameful that I say my own name in two different ways because there's the lazy way that I say it, which is Caroline Simonescu Marin, and then there's Caroline Simeonescu Marin. You see there's like a different yeah. pronunciation there um i don't I can't tell you which way is the correct way to say it because I don't know. um, and I think it maybe depends where where um where you might be from. As to how you might say it, sometimes I meet Romanians and they get so excited and they start saying my name and they say it differently to me and I'm like, okay, cool, guess, guess I say it wrong then. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Romanians are always excited to see me. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and aside from that, I am, I am a um, a human being that loves music. Uh, I love to help artists to deliver their visions to the world, and I love the idea of elevating the business of. UK rap music and uh and more uh into great great business and just helping people to achieve what they want to achieve that's that's my that's my whole vibe aside from that I'm just a chill person I sit at home and watch TV
0: When I first met you you had the uh the job title of A&R uh and I'm still not 100% convinced I know what an AR A&R does
1: Does anybody know what an AR does I don't does?
0: I don't but if you had to explain to someone that's never listened to you know, conversations about the industry or someone that's never been part of it. What is the role of an a r
1: An a r basically is responsible for um, finding the talent, signing the talent, helping the talent to make music in most instances, and then helping the label to deliver that to the world. So you kind of sit as, um, the the artist will have their manager to their left and they should have their A&R to the right. That's kind of how I feel about it. And, and the manager will deal with them and everything they've got going on personally and like in the overseeing of their business but then the a&r will deal with everything intrinsically to do with music creation and getting that out to the world
0: and the challenge of course is that those are ridiculously blurry lines
1: so blood i mean like you are the manager or you are this or you are that you're every job you're like a parent you're doing everything yeah um if you really care and also if you have that type of relationship with the artist. i mean not every a&r works like that disclaimer um i worked like that which is which i think um helped me a lot it was also really really difficult um but it meant I had great relationships with the people I worked with because you're just so close you have to be so close to them to understand how to create the best music to create the environments they make the best music in the type of people they could collaborate with on every level from production writers um even the types of studios they can work in you really have to be inside an artist's head to understand how to A&R them
0: yeah and and for someone that you know has no idea of how the industry works Typically, how many artists would anyone A and R at one time?
1: It really depends. Like for me, I only really wanted to work with two artists at a time, and that was my decision because um, the label that I used to work in, shout out to XL, um, they uh, gave me a lot of kind of freedom and capacity to not feel. Pressured to sign a lot of things because that's their model. Um, you know, we didn't release a lot of albums. We we're probably releasing what, like ten projects a year, whereas in a major label, you'd be releasing like fifty. Mm. Um, and I wasn't under pressure to do things I didn't want to do. So I think for a lot of people, they work on a lot more artists because the uh you have to uh, i don't know how to explain these things without making anybody sound terrible because there's so many brilliant people that work in so many different types of labels and it's very situational um but there's different types of record deals that you can do for me i was always signing artists on album or project deals which take a lot longer and they're a lot harder work um as an a you can also sign singles that are already made that are already buzzing and that's yep. where you see these crazy record deals happen you know, you hear about artists oh, signing for two singles for 400,000 pounds, no options, yeah. which means that the label is literally taking two singles that probably already exist and they're just releasing them and marketing them and hoping that they get big enough mm. to make back that money. The first single will probably already be out. That's why they're signing it and it's blowing up and then they'll go into a second single. Then they'll hope that within those two singles of spending all that money, they can build a good enough relationship with the artist to then do an extended deal. And then do a whole new record deal and do some albums or do something like that. I mean, the first deal I think that we did with Jay Huss when I was working with him and Kilo and Mo, um, was for a single with an option for another single or two firm single or something like that. We didn't do a project deal. We mm-hmm. did that that format. um, And those singles were already things that Huss had made. They weren't A&R'd. But then he went in in that exact instance, stayed with black Butter, and then they helped to create the records, mm. you know? So it, it just depends. Everything's different. A lot of A&Rs can have 20 artists, but when you say you have 20 artists, they have half of them. They've just done single deals with. So yeah, yeah. it just depends what your style is.
0: Yeah. And, and the A&R piece for me is super interesting because you're, you're intrinsically important to one stage in a career, or maybe for a long period of time. Um, you were, you know, part of the, the, the Jay Huss team for a while. Um, how does it feel now like not being like day-to-day involved in it like do you look at that project and think "Oh, I'm always like do you still work it in your mind do you still think I would do this I would do that or do you think I'm just pleased to see it
1: oh my god I'm just so pleased to see it like it's it's so beautiful like the Jay Huss story is something I was so grateful to be a part of and I'm still very close with Kilo and Mo and you know I see Huss from time to time it's all love you know it's um it's just beautiful. Like, I'm the biggest J Haas fan. He's my favorite artist, full stop. So with everything that comes out, I try not even to hear too much. I'm still obviously close to the label and people. And I come in and I'll hear, you know, before the album came out, I heard records from before the album came out and stuff like that. And I was like, guys, like, please, like, let me just be a fan. I'm just such a big fan and I'm just so happy for his success. And I just felt like it was written, you know, like from with J Haas particularly, Whilst I was at GRM, they did a freestyle with him um, at, in a, at a time where freestyles were what was breaking all of these artists from like the Dave's, Husses, etc. And Huss had done two freestyles. I think that was maybe like a black box one or something or, or something else that was similar to that. And then there was this GRM rated freestyle. And if you haven't seen that, that will blow your actual mind. Like Huss was so rago and he was so, he was doing stuff then. That nobody had ever done before. And I remember posting it on my Snapchat at the time when Snapchat was the most poppingest thing. And um, and I remember Austin Dabo hit me up and he was like, Who is this guy? Like I remember it so distinctly, and I was like, Jay Huston, and he was like, this is, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because I just kept posting it on my Snapchat. I was so obsessed with him. And then I came to start working with him. But these are these are the things that you remember because they're such like it was just such a obvious moment that this kid is something which is so much more crazier than than other people do like it was so innately obvious with his talent
0: so i could probably spend all day talking to you about your place in the music industry but this podcast is a little bit more than that so um we're going to run through some of your most important things and these are the things that you value most in your life i want to start with what's your most important place
1: my house is that is that a valid answer it's a bit big but I'll take
0: it. Where, it's is, big. It? where well, is
1: it? Okay, so you mean do you, as far as like most important place, could you talk about like a city or a thing? Yeah. Like what do people what's people's usual vibe on this one?
0: I mean it really varies. Really varies. I, I definitely want a physical place. Like people have been like, hey, it's a state of mind. No, not having that. Oh like a physical place, yeah. like a
1: like
0: Like where do you feel most Caroline?
1: I feel most Caroline. Yeah, I think I'm when I'm I'm just like chilling with my family, like it doesn't matter actually where that is, because I just feel like you have to, for me, that's like the switch off period. Like I'm not actually big on locations. I'm always big on who I'm actually with. Like I could be in McDonald's having dinner with my boyfriend or with my mom or with whoever it is. I'd be having as great a time as if I, as if I'd gone with them and flown to Flown to New York for the night to go through a restaurant there. Like I'm just big on people and the vibe and whatever that is. So I, I'm not really like super tied to a particular place. I never have been. I'm quite like I think in my childhood I moved I moved houses a lot. I went mm. through loads of different situations as I was growing up. So I never really got attached to places in that way. Mm. But I just feel like I'm most myself and what's most important to me in being myself is being like with people who I trust and love.
0: Perfect. Um, one thing that we people struggle with quite a lot on this is when I ask them about their most important possession so I'll give you a couple of the rules uh, the possession again has to be a physical item and it can't be a phone or a laptop Because I have one I think all those things you can back up so uh, Caroline your most important possession
1: is my American passport oh okay mm. tell me about that well it's not like most important because I love um like, you know, the the T word. I don't love the D T. But what, what I do love is the ability to to be able to travel freely. Um my uh dad had a few different passports um that were passed on to me, put that way, and I was able to select the ones that I felt like I should keep in date. Um, was oh, your dad a spy? But like, you made it?
0: that sound like <laughs> So uh, 007 anyways,
1: business. I um, I keep my American passport and my <laughs> English passport in date. Um, I also have the, you know, if I want to switch out into my Irish passport because my mom's Irish, I can also do that. Um, I've had lots of passports in date at different times in my life, but today my American passport is my most important thing because I think when I was younger, I used to think I wanted to move to America like as a career thing, especially being in entertainment. But now I realize that what makes me valuable in america is actually being british and being Mm. able to be in england um but the ability to travel back and forward freely is something i see with so many um artists managers and people around me don't have and they really struggle with it so i feel really grateful to not um not have to deal with that hassle yeah yeah and you have an american child don't you so I i do so she's very lucky
0: she is and actually i think it will be um a, a sort of bone of contention later in life that one of my, one of my girls... Oh, that's going to be a big issue. ...has an American FYI. passport, and the other one doesn't.
1: Yeah, all my siblings have American passports, so we're all good. Yeah. Like, my little brother lives in LA, right. and he definitely is grateful for it. He moved there when he was 21.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, my, my youngest is... Uh, and I, I made this... I always make this reference, and I realise that as time goes on that I probably shouldn't make this reference anymore because I got caught out the other week where I always say, oh, my daughter's got a um American passport... But just as a point of reference, she's an Obama baby, not a Trump baby. Mm. And I said it the other day in conversation, and the person I said it to was like, "Oh, well, actually, my daughter was born during the Trump administration," and oh. there was just like this awkwardness, and I was yeah. like, "I don't really know where to go."
1: Yeah, it's like you're like saying something to be like, "Oh, it's cool because it's American, it's Trump," Ugh. but it was it's okay because it was an Obama time, but it just um. Yeah. Tumble, yeah, tumbleweeds. It was babies have been born since then. So yeah, now.
0: it was it was properly awkward. So I probably might need to um, rejig it. Yeah, just sunset that one. Just like not let say it, it let again. It <laughs> <Just> let <laughs> like, let like, it go. But it's uh, I definitely because I looked into it when she was born. I looked into like what this means for me to have a daughter with an American passport, yeah. and actually it doesn't mean anything. Like until you can't
1: like, get one, can you? Because my mum, my mum never wanted one. She never had an interest yeah. in it, so she doesn't have one. But the rest of us do.
0: I think the, the current rules are, which is not going to apply to me, but the current rules are something like if if your kid is 27, they can apply for a green card for you. Oh wow! So you can get it like later in life. They call it like an anchor baby or something like that. And you, I can then retire to like Florida. That's kind of cool. If you of cool. to go like, tan
1: up in Miami. Yeah, but
0: she's like, we're talking twenty-three years away. Like, <laughs> like no one knows what the hell situation America's going to be in. That legal situation Are we still is still even going to be in. here. I'm going to be on the south I mean, twenty-three. We could I'm going to be in Mars. I'm real old by now. Yeah, let I'm alone, let alone by then. Who knows what's going to happen? But your American passport. And you know, can can you sing the national anthem? Like how no American. I'm
1: not American at all. I'm, I'm <laughs> as American as my passport. God knows. I don't think I'm just a citizen of the world at this point. It's so corny, but I, so, I definitely am. Do you think you could live in the States now? Uh, like, I get the, yeah. the point
0: you made about like... I mean,
1: like I could. I tried to move to New York like two years ago. I tried for like six, um, four weeks, six weeks. <laughs> four weeks? Yeah, I tried. You try that hard. I tested it out. I mean, like I didn't try very hard. It was more like a taster session. Excel very, um, very kindly had offered for me to go and be based out of there. Um, at a point where I expressed some interest in it, I'd signed uh, a kid from Toronto and I was just there so much that they were like well we have an amazing office in New York which they also had one in LA but they were like if that's actually something you're serious about then we can you know have you live there we'll pay for it and I was like well this is amazing so let me go figure this out um, and I felt like I was in a funny place in my mind I was a bit fickle I just didn't really know what I was trying to do so I went over there and I tried it but then that was when I had that British realization where it's like, I can do this and I can live here and it would be really good experience. But at the same time, like the thing, at the point where I'm at in my career, um, I'm not just starting out now. Like I've actually been in the music industry for like some time. If I was just starting out, I think it would be okay. But as I'm like in a position where every move I make is really important now, um, I have to continue to be a soldier for for London and be Mm -hmm. a soldier for the UK so yeah it was a, it wasn't a great idea but it was a fun it was a fun time <laughs> fun weeks. few weeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, and
0: I feel the same I, I lived in San Francisco for for about eighteen months like nearly two years um uh and I loved it but i I was just I actually liked the fact that I was from London yeah and actually I felt like it was a point of difference and I felt like there was loads of great stuff out there loads of great people loads of great opportunity I was like in la for the Grammys and like it's wondrous oh my like, god do you, know, do you know what know
1: the truth is with with um the fortunate a place that we are in, uh, in our jobs and our roles. I feel like I could go to America as many times as I want a year, especially with my little passport situation.
0: So the next one on the list, again, this one has a caveat. The most important person to you and we make the rule that there's no family members cuz uh, i'm not here to like upset christmas
1: oh gosh most important person to me this is really hard real hard i don't know i don't even know who i answered the first time around
0: actually i can tell you who was you answered my the mom? first time it was so yeah, that's like why it was we created mom. the rule so
1: i defined the rules you here. did define hmm. the rules
0: because after you said your mum, i was like you like Mate, everyone's going to say their mum or their dad or their like brother or sister or you know partner partner you can't yeah, say it's... partners
1: either um oh wow I'm trying to think of of the people that I've learned from. Do you know what? I find it quite hard to have like most important people because I have an issue with like creating idols out of people. And I've I've done that before in my life and ended up like extremely disappointed by people's behavior. And Mm. like when I say that, it really was just a realization for me that everybody's a human. So I don't really see anybody at this point above me mentally because I'm like, if you start to feel like that, everyone's just going to let you down.
0: So, I, I absolutely hear you on that. But just as a reminder, the question is most important. It's not the best.
1: <laughs> most important. And actually, I, I think there's man. something in
0: there saying, you know... Sorry,
1: I just swore. It's I don't fine. swear anymore. It's uh, my new thing. I mean,
0: <laughs> you, you've sworn a few times I swore already. already? Yeah, already.
1: Oh! Sorry, mum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was really trying. Were you? Yeah. Are you ha- to, why are you trying to clean up your act?
1: I'm not trying to clean it up, but I just feel like... I, you know i do oh god no please caroline did i really swear like that i'm just <laughs> trying to i'm just trying to do better because i feel like it's um bad representation of my of my vibes really yeah i just think because there's a lots of different type of people in this world that i have to communicate with and i realize that how i speak is great most of the time, but then sometimes you just have to have a different approach. And as you get into different t- sorts of positions, lots of different people start listening you didn't think we were listening before. So here we are. um Most important person, though, I, we might have to revisit this question because off top of my head right now, it's not coming to me, All right. and I might just make somebody up if I.
0: <laughs> i mean be like completely make them up. We'll just choose someone random. Completely <laughs> make them up.
1: Make, <laughs> make up a random name.
0: <laughs> it's Tammy. She was really great. She was sick. Um, yeah. So, we'll come back to it. Yeah. I'll give you space. Uh, most important mistake.
1: Ooh. I wish I prepared for this like I did last time, <laughs> you know? I really feel on the spot all over again.
0: Good. I like it.
1: Do you know what? I've made so many mistakes, but, like, in a good way. I look back at them and I'm like, oh, yeah, so, so um, happy I learned from that. To be honest, my, my mistake has always been being way too nice to people and, like, letting them walk over me a little bit. Like, um, i am I have definitely had my kindness taken for weakness in many um many situations and i think one of my greatest friends said to me that um familiarity breeds disrespect something like that along those lines somebody will have the phrase better than me that's like another wording of it but basically when when people can when you give people too much they can just kind of you know take the mick out of you a little bit and i feel like i've i've done that before I've had that happen to me a lot of times so now I feel like you know we have to have like uh boundaries in our relationships and all relationships and for me I just give a lot of myself to whatever it is I'm doing and I care very passionately and so when I was younger I would do that with lots of artists or lots of teams or different people and um it was always really more actually the people that I was very close with in a business sense I felt like would take advantage of me mm. and that happened to me a few times like over and over again I wasn't learning the lesson and then one of them hit me so hard and I was like yep Lesson learned. I hear you, G O D. Shouts to you. Um,
0: yeah. How talk to me about that? How how did you realize that that was the point? How did you realize that actually I have to say, we're done. Like this is like you. I can't give you anymore. Uh,
1: just some really horrible situations, to be honest. Like stuff where I felt like you know I was I was put into like the light of being someone that I take advantage of people and stuff like that. Because the thing is. Like I understand what my position is also in like the wider world of the music that I work in. Like I'm a white woman that works in black music and I understand that I'm also, I'm like really a guest of the culture, like all of the time in, in music that I work in. And I have done my very best in life, especially as I've grown up, to really try to understand um, a lot of the issues of of like people coming into things and taking things from it, you know, and try to be extremely empathetic to that and, and really understand where my position is and how, and why people might have felt ways towards me at different times in my life. I mean, working hard and, and proving that you're here for genuine reasons really, I think outshines the rest of it at the end of the day. And, and hopefully that's why people trust me and, and work with me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, when people want to make that switch and get at you for another reason, that'll be the first thing that they go to, mm. you know? So, which is fine. And that has happened to me and that's, and that's okay because there there's a lot of people that are kind of messed up people that come in and take a lot from black culture and, and give nothing to it and take advantage of it. Mm. And that's never been my intention. I felt like there was times where that was, that where there was, uh, people that would, 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 uh, kind of imply that that was my vibe that's not my vibe at all and what I realized is the people who were doing that were people who had already been in ways a lot of ways taking advantage of the things that I was doing with them as well mm-hmm. so you know it's just it's just working with good people like I like to see the best in people and I don't always um I don't always see that people might not be very nice mm-hmm. Like I never used to be a good judge of character I think I am now but that these are the lessons, right? So These are the things you learn from the mistakes. Your
0: your job and your career is based on your ability to spot talent.
1: It doesn't mean I'm an ability to spot character. That that's one so interesting because like, also talent comes with terrible character. Also, yeah. like I'm, I'm like I'm going to be honest. Like there's a lot of people I've worked with who are horrible people, but their talent is unbelievable, and and that is also that is something that matches up inevitably because to be so genius, there, there's very few people who are extremely genius and extremely balanced. Like it's it's. Pretty much impossible.
0: Really? Do you think?
1: 100%. They're like, usually the most genius artists that we have in the world. They're not balanced. Like, yeah. you look at like someone like a Kanye West who's like <laughs> the most... I mean, he is, he is the example, but yeah. not even a horrible way. I think he's one of the most genius people that I've ever been able to enjoy their music or enjoy their art or whatever the stories I hear from people that work with him are so incredibly entertaining because of because of his work process but doesn't mean that um I would want to work with him
0: yeah I in in various points in my life I've I've met Kanye um and I always whenever I'm asked to talk about him my my one description of him was was a time where I uh I was recording an interview with him and DJ Semtex. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Semtex, if you don't know, like super credible hip hop DJ. And um, we were doing the interview and Semtex and Kanye have like a pretty good relationship. They know each other. So like you always get good stuff out of Kanye. So I was really excited to be in the room. And Kanye came in and he was like super vibey and he was like really into it. And like it was just before a new album. So he was like super into it. It was before Welcome to Heartbreak. Right. And he was super into it. And he was there and we were just getting everyone ready, like the 800 entourage. And Zane Lowe popped into the studio and just said to Kanye, hey, listen, you're going to come and see me straight after. I'm super excited to talk to you. Like that swagger like us be is like killing every club in the world right now. And Kanye looked at him and went, uh-huh. And then left the room. And like we're all stood there and you could see that Kanye's mood had just switched. Just in that moment, he'd gone from being like excited to vexed. And all that happened was Zayn had said something nice. But he was vexed and you could see it. And Kanye did about like a minute of the interview and then was like, no, nah, I need to go and sort that. And he went out of the room and he walked into Zane and said, why did you say Swagger Like Us is the best beat of the year? And Zane was, wow. like, he was like, because like it's incredible. And he's like, it's not better than the Welcome to Heartbreak beat. Okay. This is what I'm talking about now. And, like, and Zayn was like genuinely confused. He was like, but they're both yours, dude. Like, I'm saying you're great. And he was like, But why have you said that? Because it's not better. The welcome to heartbreak beat is better. And he
1: just <laughs> I, that I can't deal with. See me, I have no I have no um patience for that kind of stuff. Like I I'm not arguing with anybody about anything. Like I've no interest in that. I'm like, yeah, cool. Okay, great. Well that's no problem. If you think it's better, it's better. No sweat. Yeah. But that was, will be where the conversation ends.
0: Yeah, but it was so hard for Zay because he was like <laughs> I mean, I was trying um, to be nice. <laughs> Like yeah. this is so hard. And then he came back, and he was like in a fog. And actually, Semtex did a remarkable job that day of getting him out of that fog yeah, and getting him to like us, into. Shouts uh, to Semtex! Oh, it was brilliant. Like he did this wondrous job of like getting him to talk, and like he talked about like a whole bunch of like crazy things about like recording uh, that that 808s and heartbreaks album. Mm. It was wonderfully done. Um, so I'm going to ask you for, and I think I, I'm I'm excited to hear your answer to this because I think your careers, I think your career is really interesting for this. What's the most important piece of advice you've ever received?
1: I don't know if I received this advice, but I had a phone call with a a great friend of mine called Maria. She lives in LA and she's a very creative person last night. She is, we're actually talking about the concept of a podcast, right? Not for me, but for her. And she's very good at conversation. And she was talking about the stuff she's doing now and moving into other types of, of things. And I just said to her, like, listen, like the number one thing that I felt so fearful about was was uh, the the concept of fluidity and like and going back on your word or contradicting yourself, saying I would never do this. Then you just go and do it because guess what? We grow up. Like like in a year, things change, which is why I was so keen to like redo this podcast with you. Even though I can't say that I think this one's better than the last one because I got no got no idea what we talked about last time. Um, but. I'd actually heard this this theory in um, a podcast by a lady called Bo Saint John, who is actually now the CMO at the company I work I work for, which is amazing. Um, but she was doing a podcast and she was talking about kind of like the ability to shapeshift, and and w- we always feel like we can't move into these other things and just change ourselves slightly or contradict ourselves and her thing was like we're human beings like why can't we contradict ourselves we learn new information all the time and it's okay to do that and it was because kind of like the biggest wake up call in the world to me people were very confused when I was at um when I was an A&R Excel and doing well in A&R for me to be like, hey, I want to go be an agent at WME. I'd be like, why on earth would you want to go and be an agent when you're doing A&R and you're doing a good job? Here? This makes no sense. But I ha- I knew what I was trying to do in my head. And I had to like, make that jump and not be scared because I was trying not to make the jump because I was too bugged out about it. And then when I'd heard this podcast, it really like, it was really like a big thing to me. And this is what my- me and my friend would talk about for like an hour last night it's mm. just that ability to shape shift and and not feel uncomfortable and it's like okay you want to go be an agent now it's like okay I am an agent like I am and that's what I'm doing before I was an a r before that I was a manager before that I was something else like I had a radio show I was a presenter or I was a journalist so whether whatever see I'm so close then you so, were close whatever the 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 <laughs> yeah whatever I was about to do yeah. I just went and did it and then I became that thing. And I wasn't scared about it when I was younger then I became more scared now. So I think, I think the, the piece of advice that I'm trying to get out here, you see, I'm not a very concise speaker, which is why I couldn't host a podcast. Um, but the fearlessness that you have when you're young, like when I came into music in 17, I did not care about anything. Like I just was doing it and doing it and yeah. doing it and doing it. And then suddenly they hit a point where I'm like, oh, there's a bit more on the line now, I feel a bit more scared about this. Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced that in your own career. As you do, right? hundred. And, and, and you have a bit more on the line and then you have a wife and then you have kids and then you have responsibilities and you have a house and like everything becomes more risky, right? And, and as you get older, I think it's really about calculated risk um, and not being scared to shapeshift and just be the new thing that you want to be. It doesn't matter. Like if you're contradicting yourself, own it and be proud of it and be like, it's fine. Like I said I would never do this. I always said I was never gonna be an AR. Ask Twin B. There's a time we had lunch and I think I said this in our last in our last podcast. Because I tell everyone this story. I mean I'm sure he doesn't even remember it. But we (laughs) were doing a podcast he was telling me about how hard it was doing some acts that he was doing. I said man I'd never be an AR. That sounds awful. And there I was probably a year later (laughs) with a full schedule of studio. And then it's like okay cool. That's another thing that I thought I couldn't do. Mm. My friend who I was talking to last night was actually talking about Virgil Abloh. As a reference point, as they are friends, and she was saying, "Well, people saying he could never be, um, he could never be a designer because he was an architect, and then he went, and, and then we went and became the best designer. And if Virgil, and it's true, just from an outside perspective, if I was to think, oh, Virgil wants to, um, you know, go and do this thing, and then he goes and does it, but Al oh, Virgil did that. But it's like every time you see a collaboration, yeah. I think it's fascinating, incredible.
0: Yeah, I I've talked to a lot of um. UK-based talent over the years who talk about the UK being very close-minded in terms of once you've done something, you're in that lane, please stay in that lane, and how difficult it is for talent in the UK to do more than one thing at a time. Um, Has that been your experience? Do you think that the Americans are more forgiving of talent to try three, four different things, or... Do you think that's do you the same mean stuff outside
1: of music? Or yeah. Just, or, like, say, if you was doing music and a so book and a film, or, like, what? the you, The conversation the came really...
0: I think the conversation was around Jamie Foxx, actually. Okay. It was around Jamie Foxx is allowed to create an R&B album. And we can debate how good it is, but he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to do the uh, In the Foxhole radio shows. He's allowed to be an Oscar-winning actor at the same time. Like, he could do all those things. And, obviously, the stand-up. Like, he can do all those things at once. But if you're in the UK, you know, once you've done stand up, please stay doing stand-up. Like I don't want to see you do a sitcom. Like like the, the UK is much more sort of tough on its talent.
1: The industry just hasn't been developed enough. And and I think that what we're referencing here is not even just I don't think it's all of music in the UK. I can't I can't I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's people that work in pop music or pop musicians who have gone on to do like multiple different things and work in different roles. I think maybe the reference points of this exist within rap music or anything else around that, that that, that those people can't come and do more than one thing. But mm. it's like, you look at like the where the industry was, if we're talking about rappers, the whole thing around rap is entrepreneurialism. Like that's how they end up being rappers in the first place. It's, mm. it's an entrepreneurial mindset. You're coming from a lot of places which aren't nice places, you know, and and really making something of yourself and being role models. And it's like the whole Jay-Z thing. You know, you go from being a Jay-Z on a corner to being Jay-Z and you're like a billionaire. And this is all entrepreneurialism. And without taking those other steps into other businesses, you can't become that person because it's business. You can't have one revenue stream and you think that that's going to make your life change. Mm. Like even look at Rihanna and how her business has diversified like she never has to make music again I mean she never had to do anything else in the first place but she wanted to diversify her portfolio and what she's achieving and it's like the business is ready for that in in the U.S. there's so many people who are cultural icons that are only just being accepted into these like big um, corporate mostly white, mostly older male dominated powerhouses, like I I don't know what um the I can't remember what the company's actually called, but Rihanna's Fenty um clothing line being taken into that massive fashion house yeah. was like the biggest thing in fashion because yeah hasn't happened before for a black woman yeah. like Rihanna to do that and and so I think like in the UK we're going to get up to speed with it and it's going to be fine like the the real the real truth is especially when it comes to being a musician first is that the music has to be really really good well, or You have to wait until you hit a certain point where that stuff's comfortable enough to be able to allow the time. Mm. Because the problem is with it usually I feel is that people just spread themselves too thin. You're not big enough in one area to be doing five areas, right? right. right? And it's like, I feel like, I mean, I don't know about Jamie Foxx historically, but I assume he was strong enough in one of those areas to spread out into five, right? And that'll be the same with, with most of the people that do it really, really well. And like for me now, in the job that I am in, like I wanna work with multi-hyphenates. I wanna work with people that do have several different lanes of business. And I wanna work in figuring out that strategy. And like, that's the most exciting thing to me is now that we've done the whole thing of, okay, First, My first job I felt like when I was working in music was like, okay, how can we get these artists to be seen? How can we get them on shows and can we get them in the radio shows? Okay, we ticked that one off, we ticked that one off. And then it was like, okay, now how can we release their albums? and How, how can that be a serious thing? Okay, now we ticked that one off. Yeah. Now I'm like, okay, so now we're we're doing business and the artists are selling successful records they're going number 1 they're winning brit awards now how can we convert that into business streams yep so so every stage of like what my career has been has been at the level of where um, music has been the uk or at least the music that i've always loved and worked in and so now we're at that we're, we're unlocking zones every single time and i feel like my career is moving with that and now i'm just at the stage where i'm like this is this what that exact thing you just said is what i'm trying to work towards with people yeah. how do we find these other areas that work for you and that you can tap into that business and whether that's from film tv um scoring movies um uh, you know whatever it is you have an amazing idea why don't we link you up with a production company and you can create and be an executive producer you don't have to be in the content yeah. you want to act that's gonna put you in a movie like that to me is exciting business and that's what I want to help people to achieve within the building I'm now in you know
0: amazing um, I want to ask you about your most important decision the most important decision you've ever made
1: hmm the most important decision I ever made to nil was am not finishing school now that was a lifesaver. I mean, do you know what? All jokes aside, education is very important if you wanna do um if you want to do certain types of careers. Like if you already know um that you wanna be a doctor or you wanna be a dentist or you wanna be a scientist or you wanna do any of these things, then that is amazing. And also if you learn better in the classroom and that you think that that's more for you, then all for it i was not like the most focused person like i got great grades i'm just not particularly focused i'm like much more of a worker and hands-on thing i've had a job since i was 11 years old like i'm obsessed with working and um yeah i i had already started doing music related stuff from when i was like just turned 17 Mm. and a lot of things were happening and um I had like three or four different jobs. Like I was trying to make sure financially I could sustain myself to do all the types of jobs which didn't pay me, which were the things I really enjoyed. You know, I worked in a news agency I worked doing social media for somebody. I did, I mean, I did anything. I would do any type of job that, that, that meant I got paid. When I was younger, I really, really, um, really had like had this thing I was obsessed with wanting to learn how to to ride horses and so that's why that was the job that i worked in when i was like 11 i worked in a stables till i was like 15
0: that came out of nowhere i know <laughs> <laughs> you, so you, you wanted to ride horses
1: yeah like i really wanted to like go horse riding because it was something i couldn't afford to do like my mom couldn't afford to do it and a few of my friends and myself we banded up where all went to go work in the stables together for when I was 11 until I was 15, we just mucked out horses every Sunday um, and taught some horse riding lessons. Cause obviously at this point all you have to do is actually run around with the horse on a lead, basically, and like a little kid on it, and just take it for a jog. You know, the horse does a little, <laughs> the horse does a little run. But yeah, because I wanted to do that, I always just feel like, okay, if I want to do something, what's the how do I get there to be able to do it? And that's just, yeah, that was just my vibe. And so um that was my little horse riding story. I mean, I haven't been on a horse in probably like probably like 10 years now. I was really good though by the time I stopped. Wow. Big shame, yeah. Basically, leaving school, yeah, very important to me. Um, I just meant I could get straight into work. Meant I wasn't in debt in the conventional you didn't finish way. Finish
0: your exams, right?
1: I did finish my exams. I actually, I mean, I just had really bad attendance through the whole of sick form. I was there like my attendance was actually fifty percent, um, because I spent every day that I possibly could, um, in Choice FM in Leicester Square. Yeah, I just really didn't have time for school. That wasn't in my agenda. Um so I did do my exams. I think I got A, B, B, maybe. Which was decent considering um Very decent. Considering I had no clue what was going on. My mum <laughs> my mum's biggest joke with me was that I was never a reader when I was younger. All the rest of my siblings love reading. Me, I just was not interested. Um, her biggest joke was me with me was that I got A's in my um English GCSEs without reading the books. She was like, I don't know anyone else who can do this. How did you do that? And I'm like, Mom, all you need to do is look at the summaries. I said, you can just Google what the summary of the book is and you can just make up. It's English. That's what we do. And I think that's where I first became a salesperson. You just have to make make stuff up sometimes. Um But, yeah, she was... By the way,
0: I can't endorse that. Read the books, people. Oh, no, no, I love reading now. Don't read the summaries. That is awful. Sunil,
1: that was my 16-year-old self. 25-year-old Caroline loves to read. I don't... I use Audible because I... I actually don't love to read. I find it really hard to concentrate looking at words in a book. But as I'm a music person, I, I use my ears a lot. Um, and yeah, Audible changed my whole life. I've read like five books this year.
0: Amazing.
1: Big. I'm a big book fan. If you want to do a podcast on books, that's when I'll come back. I'm out of my depth.
0: We'll break, uh, we'll break it down. I've actually lost my ability to read, like really badly. That's my, really sad. My concentration's completely gone. Audible. Yeah. Changed I, your life. I didn't love it, actually. I didn't love it for... Uh, I, I love it for non-fiction. Mm. I don't love it for fiction.
1: I'm going to give you some really good recommendations of yes. things that I've read recently that changed my life. Go. Um okay so there's a book called Homegoing by Yagi Arsi. Um it was a debut book by a Ghanaian author. I think mm. she released it when she was 25. But I don't know how, she, how old she is now. Um the book is about uh is it basically takes you through different generations of black history but starting in Ghana in um with the Ashanti's in the villages this story of two sisters it's it's not a real book based on real mm-hmm. events um and then each chapter goes down a descendant of one of the two sisters i mean it's it's so mind-blowing and i was fortunate enough to go to ghana over the christmas period and i visited some of the places that were talked about in the book um a place called cape coast castle uh which was just mind-blowing it was so it was so powerful to have read the book and then go have mm. gone there pretty much straight after um and yeah it it was really, that was like a life-changing book reading experience where I was like, oh, I could really read books now because I feel like I'm learning stuff but yeah. in a way that's distracting enough for me to not be um, real-life things. Like, I hate self-help books. That's like my worst kind of book. Really? Can't concentrate on them at all. I'm just like, oh, I, I try really hard. I tried, I yeah, I've tried a lot of them and I'm just like, this is just bizarre. Like, people swear by these things, but
0: trial and error. We're going to come back to it because you dodged it. I'll give you one more go. Most important person. God. Wow, what okay. a person!
1: Yeah, for this context. In this context, yeah, I thought about it because it came to me in the next question when you asked me, and um, because I um, I've always had to think I've had a complicated relationship with religion over the years, as far as like my mum's Catholic. And I was raised in a Catholic church. I went to a Church of England primary school, though, so it was, like, a little bit different. I yeah. was immediately felt extremely confused because that was straight away two different ways of, like, learning about religion. And I couldn't understand how each coincided with each other. It just, like, it blew my mind so much that I was just so uninterested in it. And, I mean, like, I went to church every week. Like, I had no clue what was going on. And I did my Holy Communion. I did my Confirmation. I did everything. Um, and yeah I was I was pretty mind blown by it and the only the time when I stopped being mind blown by religion was probably only like one year ago Mm. and I felt like I was going through a bit of a different difficult time mentally and I went away with a good friend of mine from Toronto and we went to the Dominican oh just after my birthday and I needed to reset a bit before I came back to London and she um told me about this book that she had read when she felt like she was kind of going through a hard time. It's a book called Jesus Calling. And it's like this very like simple book. And it's basically every day of the year. So it has like from January 1st all the way to December, right? Every day, it just has like a very small verse of something. Mm. And it's, it's like, it's not like extracted straight from a Bible. So it's a bit more relevant to like your life or what's going on. And every day I read it, I ordered it as soon as I came back basically. And she said, oh, this book helped me a lot. And I've like never been like deep into religion or anything. But I was like, you know what? I think I need something right now. So let me me give this a try. (laughs) That's how I was feeling. I was just in a bad place. And so then I started reading it every day. And I shared it with a few people who were very close around me. I talked about it with a few people. And I started to believe a bit more and kind of understand a bit more and be a bit more in tune. And then I realized that um, Catholic Church just wasn't for me. And that's why I rejected it so much. And um. It's not even something I'm mad talk about, like I'm like a religious person or whatever. I believe in God. I don't I don't know what way that forms, but I like being in, it's the same thing as learning and going to school with teachers that you don't understand, right? And the way that you learn, everybody learns differently. You can be like a mm. kinetic learner or whatever. And so then I went to a different church and this church would talk about like really real life things. And suddenly it all just clicked into my mind and I was like, wow, like I feel like this is really important. And that I need to not fear the idea of religion, which I think I did. Yeah. And I because I didn't understand it, we fear what we don't understand, right? And really just accept and use the morals of it to be a good person to focus more on on what if you, if you were gone tomorrow, like what did you do for the world or what, who were you or like how do people remember you and I feel like sadly in the past few years I've had quite a few people die that I know and um, people who I've looked up to or people I've been close to or artists that my very good friends work with and stuff like that and, and it's been really horrible because you're just faced with these legacy things all the time mm. and when I'm sadly when Kobe Bryant passed away I was in LA and I was on Runyon like that hiking thing when the news broke and everyone stopped everyone was on their phones and I I felt like I was living through it in LA and Kobe Bryant wasn't somebody who I had mad looked into in my entire life I knew who he was I knew how important he was whatever and then I watched um so I've really tangented here, but this is an important point. I I watched the Kobe Bryant memorial. It's like a three hour long thing, yeah. right? Um, and I cried the whole way through. It. I'm a massive crybaby, but this was a very, very sad. If you haven't seen it, I mean, it's so powerful. Yep. And and watching it, I realized the impact that um, the impact that he made through his through his craft was much more than being the best basketballer in the world mm-hmm. like the the last dying act he did before the the um helicopter crashed was he was hitting up his old agent to ask if he could get a young girl help to get a young girl a um a internship in like some uh like baseball or something mm-hmm. like he was trying to help a young girl get a job yeah. pretty much that was the last dying act he did and it's like it goes to show so much for somebody's character. And For me, I'm like, everything at this point does happen for a reason. Like, you know, I have, a, I have a funny relationship with with death and all these things because, as I said, a lot of people have passed around me. Like, my dad died when I was 13. I experienced a lot of these things mm. very close to me. And I realize it's so much about legacy and it's so much about being a good person and, and being just so grateful for what we have. Like, mm. I resonate now a lot more with with things in religion because because it's about the moral standing of it it's not particularly to do with the bible or particularly to do with to do with like specific events and things that have happened but i really really believe in being a good person and and things coming back around and like how you want to impact the world and and all of that those morals i think come best through uh belief in god Mm. Because you always have to be grateful because you're not you're not the biggest person. It's a very humbling experience yeah. to to um to hold those values. Like I drive like an hour and a half to get to work every day. And when I'm in my car and I'm driving, I think to myself, every time when I get in a car, oh my God, I always wished I could drive this car. Or I always wished I could live in this type of house that I live in, or I wished I could have have uh, these things that I have yeah. material or non material? Yeah. I wish I could be in a relationship I am in now. I wish I could my family could be stable the way they are. Um, I, I, I these are things I wish for, and I think to myself how grateful I am. And it's like I spend a lot more time thinking and praying and being grateful and um taking time, and I feel like that's made me so much more of a balanced person. So in reality, like. Yeah, as I as I said before, like uh, feel so many, so much, so many humans are very equal. You know, we we don't come at a point where my boss is not um is not someone who is more important than me because they are my boss. Like they're a human being and they deal with human struggles the same way that I deal with human struggles. Mm. We have to hold so much more compassion for people, and that's the side of humanity that we we aren't seeing enough of right now is compassion and empathy and and these are all things that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter all these things. You don't take that shit to the grave with you. No. The only thing you take to the grave with you is being a good person. So I felt like I've been on this bizarre journey of of uh, I'm trying to understand religion my whole life. And really, I shouldn't have been trying to understand religion because religion is too complex. It actually comes with too much complexities for for a lot of people to understand. Unless you're raised in it or unless it's, it's innate within you, you know. Yeah. For me, it was just like the things I need to, uh, to, to be in line with is good morals and and being grateful. And that's like what my thing is focusing on now. And that's actually the most important thing out of anything I've just said. The most important thing.
0: It's a wonderful place to end, being grateful. Mm. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. Um, there's one bit I haven't told you about. Go on. Which is the quick fire round.
1: Oh, I love a quick fire round.
0: Okay. Now, I want you to take off the baggage of the fact that you work in the creative industries mm-hmm. and I want you to answer for me quickly.
1: Yeah, you didn't tell people what I do now, by the way, so now... You never introduced I, my new job. I mean, I don't
0: know what your new job is. What you is don't your know what job? my new job is? No. I don't think you know what your new job I is. you make it up as you go. you got a fancy silly. title.
1: I'm a music crossover agent.
0: <sighs> like that means anything. What
1: does that oh. mean? What does that mean? So rude. I mean, I'm only saying this because if you are listening, maybe you might be confused by what that means too. So maybe I should tell you. Huh? What do you reckon? <laughs> tell me.
0: Tell me. Tell me. Okay. Tell us. Da, da, da. Music crossover artist.
1: Music crossover agent. agent. I'm not an artist. Music, You're an artist.
0: Music crossover agent. agent
1: basically means I work in this brilliant company called William Morris Endeavor, WME for short. The company uh, represents talent in all different um, areas of the entertainment industry. They also are extremely powerful and own a lot of different businesses um, and other types of amazing things, such as IMG and stuff like that. Um, But basically for the areas of talent that we represent, my job is to be based out of the music department. Within the music department, I can sign talent into the building and during that we find great teams of people who I feel like are are the best suited to the talent to work across them and that can be in the live sector and more and basically my job is the and more so taking our live clients and helping them to cross over into the other areas of the business that we represent say if you are a musician and kind of like the stuff we were talking about earlier if you're a musician and you want to um you know, you're at the level where, where you actually can act and you want to get into acting, then we can help you do that. If you um, want to explore more of your commercial deals and partnerships, we can help you do that, et etc. et cetera. So that is what my new job is.
0: Perfect. Does that make sense? So you're going to be the person that helps the next wave of British talent get to the levels they should be at.
1: That's what I hope to do now. No pressure. No pressure we so, shapeshifters remember
0: shapeshifters so the quickfire round I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions very quickly uh, your most important for each of them uh, Caroline most important musician Kanye most important song
1: fuck ooh there's so many um Destiny's Child Survivor Oof. only because that was my favourite song when I was a kid big
0: tune yeah. uh, most important book
1: the first book that I read on Audible, I'm going to make that my most important because I loved it. It was the Gabrielle Union um, book, We're Going to Need More Wine. And it was most important because it made me keep reading.
0: Most important TV show?
1: My favorite TV show, which is the biggest load of trash ever, is Dynasty Remake. And I'm just dying to watch season two. <laughs> 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 Actually, no, no, no. Let me take that back. My most no, you can't no, take it back. No, no, because my, my second, my second option is just a shit. <laughs> my most important TV show is Keeping Up with the Kardashians.
0: I'm leaving both here. Don't worry about it. Best
1: show best show ever invented as far as a social study.
0: Wow. Uh, most important album?
1: It's so crazy. I'm going to say Kanye for everything. This is so nuts. Um,
0: <sighs> Which Kanye would you have said?
1: College Dropout. College Dropout? Yeah, that was, that was what introduced me to Kanye. Huh. Yeah. Um, my uh, favourite album ever.
0: Uh, most important film?
1: Oh my God. I, I can't remember my favourite film. But a film that I always loved when I was younger was Coach Carter because there's a really good speech in it which I think is just so amazing. Basically about dimming. You should never dim your light for other people which I just, I don't remember what it is. It's corny but I loved it.
0: It's corny but it's corny in the right way. Yeah, It's, it's corny s- in a brilliant corny, way. Corny, brilliant. When you hear it at that young age you're like, yeah. I'm not gonna dim my light. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna do this. Exactly. Um, so I wanna take this opportunity to say thank you so much. And I have to say thank you twice because you've lived through it twice. And I Was this one better than the last one? It was better than the was last it? one. Was yeah, it? I know it was gonna be. Like, I have new vibes. Last today. one last one you had am uh, you had a little negative vibe, which yeah. is not a bad thing.
1: Oh my god. This is exactly what I said. Okay, so anyone listening right now, I um when I'd realized Snow was like releasing these so late, I was like, "Tim Snow, I think I wasn't in a positive vibes in that time, and we need to just we need to bring it all back around, I'm bring gonna, out the energy. I have the energy now,
0: but that's uh, and I want to be clear on this though, for for my point of view, negative vibes aren't bad, no, they're just different just different and i think hopefully you know that there will be people that come on this in a darker headspace people that come in in a very light headspace and all of that stuff is valid because oh my goodness
1: it's so important what's like, happening right now and and if you don't go through that like that period of time that i was going through i think when we did this podcast i don't think it was a particularly positive period of time but that's just so important to say because when you're just looking from an outside perspective you think people are always going through a good time and you're like actually you know I've, i think i've touched on like three different bad times during this podcast now like it's, it's happens all the time and you you bop in and out of it consistency when you work in entertainment is not really possible.
0: Well, I want to say thank you um, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, Thanks, guys. Uh, make sure you drop us a little review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you've hit subscribe or follow on Spotify um, and tell people about it. Tell people that you've enjoyed the show and how brilliant Caroline is. Um, And you'll have another episode in your Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever you're listening next Tuesday. Thanks a lot for listening to Most Important Podcast.